tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Go! You okay? Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall High. You know I am. You know I'm here, too. I'm here, too. Rock! Yes, joining me. One of my favorite people on the planet. You know him from the hit podcast that seems to be growing day by day. We don't smoke the same. Xavier Guerrero. What's up? Dude, your posts are funny. You're finding the best videos on Instagram. I'm killing it. You're killing it. You really are. <laughs> I feel like you just started doing that. Is that new? Have you been doing no, that I've forever? I've been doing that. You yeah, just... I'm like, I'm surprised it took you that long. <laughs> some of the stuff is like, I can't watch it. I just yeah, can't careful watch with some it. of it. Yeah. The funniest one was when that woman's like, the cops are here. Her daughter, her mom runs <laughs> and pulls the vent over her. So, they, so, so the cops would think it was a vent. It was <laughs> so funny yeah. and stupid. And on the ones and twos, he his hit show. Broken Sim is just burning up the charts, and he's as some stupid ass sidekick <laughs> that nobody even remembers name. Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard, how are you, Jack? I feel like that intro was a little bit of a preview of what it's going to be like when you're about eighty, you know, trying to do the show. Good morning. <laughs> I love that you think I'm going to do this till I'm eighty, dude. Why couldn't you? You could be like Art Bell, just maybe. Go well, on. I, I have set a date that I will stop doing stand up. Or an age. Yeah, but there's no reason you can't always do it. Even if you you're just, it's just you doing Zoom from your bed, you know, your 72. hospital bed. 72. 72, is that say? Is there a reason that's you it. picked that number? 72, really? 72. Okay. Is there a reason you picked that say. number? Well, you know, I, when I say must stop doing stuff, I'm going to stop, like, working to set up gigs and all that stuff. Someone's like, hey, let's fly this old man out, and he just babble. Maybe I'll do that. So you're thinking of 72 the 70. way we thought of 72 when we were young? As no, it being like what a, I'm thinking is that's you're gonna, 50 years in the game. You're going to be vibrant, though, at 72. At 72 mm. will be 52 years okay. in the game. You're going to be surprised how much energy you have at 72, I think, and you're going you're gonna to wish you hadn't said this. I mean, 20 years from now, my kids will be out of school. They'll be at college. you have time I'll on be, your hands. I'm going to be the old dad at college. You're like, that. my dad's really old, bro. He's really old. Those kids, though, were always the sweet kids, the kids with the old parents, yeah. in my experience. Well, I think that older parents... I'll, I'll, listen, all parents should love their kids, but I feel like older parents, like they, there's just this appreciation that they had them later, so you're ready for it. Well, and there's, there's also not this high, high stress thing that their their kids are chilled out. You know, does that make sense? Like yeah, I always yeah. felt that. I think you enjoy your kids more because you're always, when when you're yeah, when you're when, kid, when you're broke, you got two jobs, you got to figure this out. Yeah. Right now, you're like when you're yeah. set, you're like I oh, did it all. Yeah. If I don't go on the road anymore, which is fine, I did it all. It's, Speaking of the road, Salt Lake. Boise, you both Boise. I got yelled at. It's Boise. <laughs> it's, no, you didn't. Really? Oh, really? Boise. Boise. <laughs> Boise. Boise. She goes, it's Boise. I go, what? I go, and I got told if she, 
by a woman that if she had terminal cancer, I'm on her fuck it list. So, I mean, oh, I go, cool. oh. it's this weird kind of feeling where I, I hope you never get cancer, but it's good to know. I don't I understand why it. we can't just go ahead and do that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, because she's married. and I don't, oh, okay. But she's like, if it's coming to an end, you're on my list. I'm like, good to know that. I'm your doomsday. Would, would you sympathy fuck her? Would you sympathy fuck her? I mean, I might have to. <laughs> So, anyways, Boise, Salt Lake, you guys rock. I think Salt. I think people from the outside don't realize how awesome Salt Lake is. I think it's an awesome city. I think it's completely and utterly underrated. It's underrated for comedy. I have yet to have a, a wonderful time in Salt Lake. It's a great town. The people are wonderful. The women are gorgeous. The, it's just a great town. It's just a great time, and you, I don't know if you guys saw the pictures. You but got a packed house. It, it's a Ooh. really cool feeling. I haven't had that feeling since Chicago when I packed out Chicago, and just like it's such a long road, and I'm so thankful that anybody would ever come and, and see me. I would never. I I don't care how long this goes on, and who knows how long it will go on. But as long as it's going on, I will appreciate every moment. That's why I sit in the lobby, you know, and I'm just meet and greet with everyone before the shows because I, you know, one, I just, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, I can't. The yeah. green rooms are always creepy, haunted. <laughs> by yourself. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to sit by myself. Those are one of the few places you know you can actually meet people close up like that, and none of them are going to really have a problem with it. You know what I mean? Especially with his, what he, the way he thinks. It's like, yo, all these people are with it. Listen, we talked about um, Broken Sin the other day. There's never hecklers at a tinfoil hat. They're only cuddlers. <laughs> They just cuddle. They want to cuddle, and they're all great. And I, you know, and I appreciate them. So thank you very much. Uh, I hope to see everybody in San Diego uh, this Thursday. Tickets are moving quickly. Should be a great show. Chris Neff, a couple of my friends will be down there, and then my final show of the year. And I'm not adding any more shows. I'm not. I I I got so much. I have to shoot guns, bro. I need time to shoot more guns. Is there like a late night range where we can go shoot guns? It's like midnight gun shooting in LA. Can we go do that, bro? But it's time for me to shoot guns. I got I got a couple guns. It's time for me to work it out. And I bought all these guns. I haven't had time to shoot them because I'm just working. LA really. Gun Club's open to 11. Oh, snaps. That's late. Yeah, we might have to go. Daddy's, la, la, daddy's hey. buying. Do you got guns? No, but I, I can guns. get some ghetto ones. I, mean, I can borrow some. We need to get I, you I know, guns. I know. Uh, hmm. I'm just, well, you said you're borrowing some. Does that something, do they check your paperwork when you come in with your guns? I don't know. Do here? they do that? Well, I, that's I'm thinking California is what I'm thinking. Like They wouldn't do it where I'm from. But. Well, I went and shot with my one buddy at this one range. They, they never any, checked okay, us out. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's get some guns. Dude, we got I mean, I have some. I just... We got to start an axe throwing league. They're from North Carolina. Can we get into axe throwing together? Like Ooh. some bonding? Why don't you? Well, let's do golf. I'm no, already doing golf. Everybody's golf. doing golf right now. I don't like golf. How does golf help me in the zombie apocalypse? Oh, good point. Axe right? Axe throwing? You yeah. got to be. Let yeah. me show you a little video of people almost getting their heads split open. I've seen that. Axe throwing. Oh, I well, know. that's going to be part of like, hey. that's part of like hey. the zombie apocalypse. If you get hit, you will be gone. They'll be the first one on the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I, think, you, I mean, there's so <laughs> Johnny, many Johnny, you don't want to be on the, the axe throwing team? Don't be on the axe throwing team, and we'll look for somebody no, else. Your, your axe, your axe has a lot more use in your hands, not being thrown. At, you your never know, zone. bro. What if someone's coming after your lady, and you don't have time to get there? And you got, bam, just put one right into some If you're worried in. about the axe, I don't want you there when there's not. Yeah, as as the only person in this room who spent a significant amount of time splitting wood with an axe, I will say that, believe me, don't throw the axe. Keep it in your hands. What if I wood. have multiple axe, Johnny? Put some, 
Axe. What if I have a whole bunch of axes? Axes. Yeah. Axe-eye. Johnny's kind of right. Zombies are coming. Why would you throw your own What are you running for office right now? I'm a Democrat, all right? It's like the guy who throws his gun, you know, and it's out of bullets. That's you. Just get away from me. Take this. Leave me alone. Johnny, I'm taking hardcore Krafaga. That'll work against the zombies for sure. I do. Hey, dude. You know, Johnny. I watched Army of the Dead. That was fucking great, by the way. Is it the new one? Yeah, the one on Netflix. It was fine. The Zack Snyder. I got cut some shit, but I thought it was cool. You mean the one where Tig Nagaro's ass kicker? She sucks in it. Yeah. yeah like, it's just like, it's just getting to the point where it's like, I we're willing to suspend belief, but not that much. Yeah. Because just at that point, make her so she could fly, too. I mean, if we're going to play this kind of fantasy, make her fucking be able to fly. Dude, well, I, yeah, I mean, we can talk about it for hours, this thing about 100-pound Asian women beating the shit out of guys like Tate Fletcher and stuff, you know, yeah, and I'm like, right. okay. It just makes me laugh so yeah. much, bro. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, but here's the problem. Like, when Tomb Raider came out, I was like, oh, cool, man, cool. Or even Princess Leia was within the confines of what we understand about women fighting, right? Yeah. And then Tomb Raider came, you're like, okay, she got big reaction kick ass. Now it's like, dude, every, like, waif models are just karate chopping just hordes of ninjas. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it's, it does. It's like my old joke. It's like, the only thing you know how to fight is anorexia, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, like I said, dates are good. Oh, uh, go to the t- go to the t-shirts, I'm man. There, I'm there. People are talking. Go to samtriplee.com. Click the 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 box that says tinfoilhattshirts.com take you right to it new t-shirt out let me see it dude dude it's fucking people are talking about it that's the, the that's the anti vaccine vaccine club dude that's, as soon as i saw that i was like okay that's going to move yeah, oh yeah it's moving the anti vaccine get the hood the hoodies what's are what's going fun. on with that there what, what, the, the the neck at the top he of fucked it. up and couldn't oh, okay. get a picture of the back i asked him yeah, the same thing but it's supposed to be obviously no neck no neck joe oh, no neck Go check it out. Shirts galore. If you have some, listen, guys, we have it. We, we're really working hard. We love our t-shirt designs. If you got a great one, just know we take, we, we don't can't accept all of them and doesn't mean we're going to accept any of them. But if you want to send it to samtriplee.com, check it out. If you use it, it's a hundred bucks, but I'm not going to guarantee you that we do a great way to support the show. If you want to guarantee they get red, uh, leave us a five-star review on Broken Sam yeah. and put it in there. Oh, oh, it'll oh, get red on there. Oh, air. so now you're cross-pollinating. Well, that's huh? what some guy did. He, he, and, he stuck yeah. one in there. And whatever happens while you wear this t-shirt, it is not our responsibility. I dude. I think <laughs> you'll meet some hot chicks. Could you could all that unvaccinated sperm is going to be the new Bitcoin, right? That's where it's at. That's why I've seen on memes, right? <laughs> dude, are you are you already stocking up on it to sell it when it goes? No, Bitcoin? dude, I, I'm just flushing it out. Like <laughs> Roger I'm Stone not. did say he was putting his in on ice for Laura Loomer if she wanted. Oh it, so. god, <laughs> that, that baby will be so annoying. Um, even though we love we love Roger Stone, uh, Laura Loomer's. Uh, Dumpster fire. Um, so who else do we got? Uh, uh, if you want to support the show, there's a lot of great ways. For, oh, first of all, look, free content. We give out tons of free content here at Team Tripoli. Uh, not only is Tim Fall Hat free, and it will always be free, okay? We have some other shows that are just free for you to just because, you know, I can't, well, I feel bad 
for my significant other. I, they can't watch anything. They wanted to watch the Adele thing on Oprah. I'm like, you know, Oprah's been accused of like harboring pedophiles like multiple times, right? Enjoy black cock loving shapeshifter Adele, okay? And then you walked out the room. And I leave. She, she gets so mad. I'm like, I'm going to let you watch this. I'm leaving. I'm not going to consume this garbage, okay? Garbage. And like, dude, she's a shapeshifter. Anyways. So I know there's not a lot for you to enjoy out there. Uh, that's why we crank out so much uh, content here. So free episodes, Tim Fall Hat. You can go get it anywhere you listen to Tim stuff. Punch Drunk Sports. Broken Sim is the, the sports center for the apocalypse. The people love it. The five-star reviews are great. It's the little show that could. It's growing. Big news. Big news. Ooh. Zero is my new is my Rockfin show that I'm releasing old episodes from the vault. It hit the top 200 the other day. Uh, could not be prouder of that show. That you know, Tim Fall hats for what you you know to learn what's going on. Zero is for how to learn to deal with it. Just put in zero with Sam Triple. It's the second zero up. Click it, and if you love it, please live a five star review. Uh, Cash Daddies. Let me tell you something, man. Do not listen to Cash Daddies if you don't like making money. If you don't like making money, don't listen to this. If you like stacking fatties, okay, go to CashDaddies.com. Uh, it, is, it is just starting to gain momentum. People love it. One guy made $400,000 off of a call on the show. This is a true story. So go to CashDaddies.com. What else do we got? Oh, we don't smoke the same. Yep, yep. We got actually a live show uh, Saturday the 27th, a little bit after Thanksgiving. So it'll be like a Friendsgiving, Stoner's Giving at a pizza place. We're not sh we're sure where it's at, but Flyer's not up yet. Eventbrite's not up yet, but stay tuned. Okay, so look out for that. Okay, is it going to be English or uh, Spanish? Uh, full English full in, English. in Los Angeles. All right, respect. Yeah, El Monte, respect, so careful. Respect, respect. I love it. Uh, so that's it. Now, if you're looking for premium content, you want some love, uh, you're looking, we're just not getting enough. All of our premium content is on rockfin.com, R-O-K-F-I-N.com. And uh, I, we have zero. We have conspiracy. So, oh, yes. If you want to listen to old episodes of Conspiracy Social Club, that's all there. All you got to do is go to samtribbly.com and you'll see the banners for each one of my free shows. Then you'll see banners for all of my uh, premium content. We got Zero. We got Conspiracy Social Club. We have uh, only conspiracies under Tim Fall Hat premium channel. Those are all there. I'm putting out six episodes a week on just myself for $10. A week, not a month, a week. And you get my content, you get Broken Sim, you get We Don't Smoke the Same. Oh, you went deep. We got a Only Conspiracy number 5, the Luciferian Portals of Travis Scott yeah, Afterworld. this guy, it's all about portals, dude. It's all about portals. Well, that's what I'm just telling you guys. It's all about portals. So you can go get that. Everybody on the website, you get all the content. $10. They delayed Travis Scott's upcoming shoe. I found out just a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, they should. That guy's a scumbag. He hasn't. Let, have you seen he hasn't left his house since the, since the fucking concert? But you look at his house. It's like, why would you leave it? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Jay Leno's <laughs> the poor joke guy, about. He hasn't left his house. Yeah. It's, it's like Jay Leno's joke about when your parents send you to your room, you have television, Xbox. <laughs> yeah, right? it's, like, it's not that hard. They're, they're not bothering you watching Pornhub. You're good to go. <laughs> so go, go check out Rockfin for all your premium content. Anything else, guys? 
Nope. This New Broken Sim coming out this week. And uh, we got a little uh, spanking from YouTube, so we weren't able to post the last couple episodes, but those will be up this week, too. Well, I got to be a good boy. What was this What was this bullshit about? Uh, what was it about you, this time? You had a uh, private old tinfoil hat oh. that mentioned... Rah, rah, and... Rah, 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 and yeah. Uh, well, this it, doesn't go on YouTube. It got so us a strike. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's uh, no, it. I have a permanent filter now in me. I can't say anything. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Respect. Respect. Guys, this is a great show. We break down where they're actually Nephilim in the Bible. And uh, Ken Ami is, uh, goes pretty deep, pretty passionate about it. And it turned out to be an absolutely wonderful episode. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope to see you in San Diego and Tampa. You go deep, homeboy. <laughs> So let's get into it. This is a very interesting conversation because I think it's very important at this moment because, believe it or not, I believe this topic has a lot to do with what's going on right now with this DNA splicer and all this stuff. So this, uh, please welcome our guest. He's an independent uh, researcher and apparently a giant killer. Please welcome Ken oh, yeah. Ami. How are you, brother? Ready to kill. I love it, brother. Ken, for our uh, listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Sure. They can find me at truefreethinker.com. So just go there. It's user-friendly. Everything you will care to know is there. I'm... Like you said, I'm an independent researcher. I basically just latch on to whatever happens to interest me at the time and then research it till uh, my, my brain doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and then I apparently inevitably end up writing a book. So I've published, I guess I haven't counted lately, maybe around 50 books. 50 books? Damn. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. That's well, impressive. Hey, f- for all you know, it's a bunch of nonsense. It could be coloring books. We don't know. It definitely could be coloring books. But either way, a book's a book, man. I kid, so, you know, if it's a coloring book, I will definitely have them check it out. So uh, you, you can go to your website, check that out. Uh, so today we want to talk about the Nephilim. But my question is, where where does your journey start? Well, I started life uh, as a child, but you probably already knew that, see? Well, I mean, you never know. You oh, never yeah. know. I mean, well, but the thing is, I've heard I crazier bo- shit. I mean, you might be a clone. You could have come out of some weird kind no. of laboratory. We never well, know. The thing is, I started life as a child. So cool. Congratulations. Right. Now, yeah, when did your right journey? Here. Okay, it's uh, open mic night. Um, when do you? Uh, <laughs> when? Uh, when did you begin your journey through this into looking for the truth? Oh, okay. That's a that takes us way back to when I was still in single digits. That's for sure, because where I was born, I'm not. I wasn't born in the U.S. Where I was born, we don't have the uh, tooth fairy. We have uh, los ratoncitos, uh, the little mice, and they play the same role as the tooth fairy. But you know, you guys get like a beautiful mystical fairy, and we get vermin. Okay, so. <laughs> now, <laughs> So now, at one point, I found out that there's actually no such thing as Los Ratoncitos. What, it was just my parents doing it. And I was livid. Yes, dude. Yes. So, yeah. Um, now, I definitely trace back to that when I was in single digits, just trace it back to that and being just stunned 
that I was told something was true and then was told it wasn't true. And uh, here am I, you know, all these years later. So in uh, sixth grade, I would go to this place called the library where they have these things called books, you know. And I'd get the little drawers and look through the little index cards and I would read all about uh, cryptozoology, UFOs, aliens, witchcraft, anything mysterious, right? The world's mysteries. And that's kind of interesting then that by now, uh, I've ended up attempting to specialize in what I term systematic biblical paranormology. So it's kind of like I took those interests and have brought them into my study of the Bible. And uh, so another part of my background is that I'm Jewish, but at a certain point in my life, I came to accept that Jesus is my Messiah. And then so that really took me a lot more seriously into a study of the Bible. And I thought, well, you know, there's God and then there's earth dwellers, right? But then there's this whole in-between realm. And I wanted to know what does the Bible say about all of those characters? And so that's part of a book series I wrote because I, I wrote a one single book about all of it, all of it. And then I, when I was done, I thought, oh, man, this is a bit much. This is like a drink from the fire hose, you know. So I split it up into a series just to make it a little more digestible. And then I've piled up. But I mean, just on the issue of Nephilim alone, I've written, depends how you count them, maybe seven or nine books. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm saying anything I research heavily, it inevitably turns into a book. That is a wonderful, wonderful answer, and I really do appreciate it. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, I couldn't agree more with you. Yours was the teeth mice. Mine was Santa Claus. Santa Claus, yeah, of course. My next-door neighbor, Mrs. Lavoie, I don't know why she would do this. But she just told me Santa didn't exist. And I was like, you bitch. Why would you ruin that? And it was never the same. (laughs) And my next two Christmases, I was pissed. I was pissed because I knew what my parents were doing. And I'm like, how can you do this to me, man? I I know what you're doing, man. We were on the road at a horse race. And uh, I had to be in a hotel for the Easter. And the Easter bunny came. uh, (laughs) And I just saw my mom like in the hotel room. And and I was like, oh, God. I was so mad, dude. I was so So pissed. I was so pissed that I went and told my sister. Oh. Like let's ruin her. Let's ruin her Christmas and stay ruined my Christmas. Let me go tell her. That's so bad. Yeah, my mom was pissed when I told her. She's like, "Why?" Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah like, I know things. Huh? I know things. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how you get into this under. Like if you if you know you you'll talk to your friends who are like I don't know we'll call them normies right and they're like dude how could everybody be in on this you're like. Dude, Santa Claus is like, everybody's in on it. There is an unspoken rule. We don't question it until somebody does it, and then everybody gets pissed at that. The fucking mall's in on it. The mall's in on it. (laughs) Dr. Fauci's in on it. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's just... Wait a minute. Hold hold on now. So... Since Santa is going house to house, he's going to get vaccinated, right? Yeah. Oh, he needs his booster. Wait till that comes. That's coming out. That will come out. And like all those people need to be dealt with in a very tough yeah, way. If not, Santa's going to be a super spreader. Yeah. <laughs> is Santa wearing his mask as he's putting down gifts for everybody? <laughs> It's unbelievable. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Lucy and their new Lucy K2 
capsule nicotine pouches, okay? Look, we're all adults here, okay? And some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind. And that's why Lucy's excited to tell you about their Lucy nicotine capsule pouches that are a flavored ball inside each pouch that crush for an extra burst of flavor, okay? Burst, bang, a party in your mouth. Guess what, Xavier? And everybody's coming, okay? Lucy nicotine capsule pouches include coconut oil to provide a soft, fluffy texture that enhances the flavor and doesn't dry out your mouth. They come in two strengths, okay? Four and eight milligrams. Oh, bam! Huh? It's going hard in the paint. And they have three... Exclusive delicious flavors, spearmint, mango, and cool cider, dude. Cool cider, I love. So here's what we're going to do. It's 2021. Don't compromise when you're choosing your nicotine product. Go with the newest tobacco-free options from Lucy. Tinfoil hat listeners, listen. Go to lucy.co and use the promo code tinfoil to get 20% off your order of Lucy nicotine capsule pouches or any other Lucy products, okay? That's lucy.co and use the promo code tinfoil at checkout, okay? And that's tinfoil, one word. Also, I have to give this disclaimer. Warning! The product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addicted chemical. That's lucy.co and be sure to use the promo code tinfoil. So, you know, then you go to... You go to uh, you start getting into this, you know, the Bible. And the Bible is such an interesting thing, you know. And for you to come and be like, I'm Jewish, but I accept Jesus. You know, it's just very interesting because well, no I'm, I'm, I have the same kind of thing going on, right? I, I, I'm not Christian, but I realize the role of this figure that they call Jesus. And I talk about it all the time on the show, so you're going to have to hear it again. It's just like the story of the, the man born to a virgin that is told in all these different religions and philosophies, right? That no. I, I, it's not? No. Okay, dude, I'm down. Talk to me about this because I've okay. been told. Tell you what, Tell you what. Uh, let's take a step back because in the early discussions about what this show would be about, something came up that I actually had forgotten, so I wanted to start <laughs> with that. And it was the question, how can you tell what is the truth on the right path? And I believe that question came about from something that you asked Gary Wayne, if I remember correctly. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, and incidentally, I just debated Gary Wayne last week. Oh, so, and how'd that I, go? Uh, you'll have to watch it for yourself. But I, I, <laughs> might, I might bring it up a little bit, and it's not to throw him under the bus because, the, I mean, the... The video's on my channel, so anybody can actually watch what happened. Anyhow, so, you know, there's a question prior to how can we tell what is the truth? And that would be questions like, is there truth? And if there is, why should we care? Okay? Those are the, the primary questions, because how can we tell what is truth is kind of presupposing that there is truth and that ascertaining truth is some kind of universal imperative, right? Like, like a must do. And so that is an initial issue. For example, I have tons of discussions with atheists. And one of the things I always point out to them is look on your worldview, truth is accidental. 
right? Because the universe is accidental. Truth is reflected uh, uh, as the components of the universe. Well, that's accidental. And guess what? Our ability to discern truth is also accidental. And there's no universal imperative to um, adhere to truth, nor to demand that other people adhere to it either. The whole thing's done right there. So that's why I'm saying that it's it's important to discuss truth in the first place. And incidentally, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Point blank. And little did he know he was talking to the very man who had said, I am the truth. Okay, so kind of like if you say, well, um, I have some sort of regard for Jesus, but I don't believe he is who he is claimed to be in the Bible, then that makes it very difficult because then you're talking about somebody who's at least incredibly untrustworthy at, at the very core of his person. So let's jump to the issue of virginity for a second. So this is one of those claims that's sort of asserted and uh, watered it down. Interestingly enough, I was going to talk about uh, watering down when we go cross-culturally when we get to the issue of Nephilim. So, for example, you'll hear that Mithras was born of a virgin. virgin. Okay. Uh, okay, well, Mithras is said to have been born of, of, out of a rock. Now, oh, God grant you, we could say a rock is a virgin. I mean, at least I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, I no? gotcha. That's like a rock concert right there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, the Buddha, well, he was born of a virgin. Well, no, the story is that his mother had a dream that a white elephant came out of her side. I mean, I, I guess that also could count as a virgin. But but you see what I'm saying is when you actually look at the fur, the primary source material, the original stories, you're find you find out what is being described as virginity is is, is just a category error. It doesn't fit the bill, right? I, so I then, well, I love that. I, I, I'm glad I heard this because, you know, I just thought it was the same story being told in different words and different languages and different ways. It's like if you see a car crash and you ask several different people what happened, they'll all give you their own version of the story. Yeah. But it's the same kind of car. It's the same car crash. But you're telling me these are categorically different stories. Yeah, the category error straight up. Yeah. So now this brings us to, like, for example, the Epic of Gilgamesh, okay? It has an arc that is a cube. Well, a cube is not a seaworthy vehicle, uh, um, a seaworthy boat or ship. It's, it's not going to float. Yeah. It's going to yeah. topple all over the place. Yeah, right? it's probably going to sink. So now you could see, okay, you know, if we're seeking truth for whatever reasons we might have, whether it's a subjective personal preference or we have a universal imperative implied by our worldview, that would be suspect at the very least. Well, you look at the Bible, you have a vessel described that would be seaworthy. Uh, meaning, incidentally, it's just a barge. Uh, the, the ark was just supposed to float. It, it's not going anywhere. They're not traveling around. They're not on a cruise. It's just supposed to float. So you can kind of see how by maybe having a cultural memory of one of the, the dimensions of the actual arc, 
it ended up being told as as a story where it's uh, the the same dimensions all around. So you have this cube that they just never works. So that's the sort of thing that would clue you in on okay, at least this aspect of the story it's really not reliable. Let's look for another source that seems more reliable. And and now let me just say a word about why would it be that ancient cultures all over the world who apparently would have not had any uh, contact with each other do have at the very core of their cultural identity, their myth and legend, similar stories, an original creation of the, in a garden, a flood, the survival of very few, an ark, this and that, uh, a- angels or gods or aliens or whatever you want to call them, cohabiting with humans, very common things. It seems to me that during the uh, prior to the Tower of Babel event, humanity lived in relative proximity. Okay, now after the Tower of Babel event, they were dispersed throughout the earth. So they would have taken with them what was then commonly known and shared history. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, and then with time, yeah, with, uh, with adding a little changing here and there, uh, that ends up being called myth and legend. But you see why there's still a core of truth in them. That's what it seems like to me anyway. So my, we ask this a lot. Is it of your belief that the stories of the Bible are true stories that happen? Or are they myths to learn lessons from? The Bible is an anthology of various genres. So, for example... Everybody knows Jesus told a lot of parables. Well, obviously, a parable is a parable. It's not a literal historical account. Uh, whereas there are literal historical accounts. There's also a genre of poetry. There's um, metaphor. There's uh, simile, symbolism. And there's stuff where it's like, uh, uh, on this year, when this king was ruling, this happened. You're like, okay, well, that's literal history, right? So it's, it's like a combination and part of what being a discerning reader is really not just a reader of the Bible, reader of anything, is that you have to understand the genre you're reading, and then you have to derive from the text what it's telling to you. Instead of bringing into the text your preconceived notions, this is in uh, the field of study called hermeneutics, which is just uh, rules about how to interpret really any text. It's called exegesis versus eisegesis. So you want to exegete a text so it's telling you what it's telling you instead of saying, no, 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 I'm going to read into it what I want to see there, right? Like being, oh, that's a virgin, that's a virgin, that's a virgin. Well, no, you're bringing that into it. You're putting so, your own yeah, shit on. You're putting your own interpretation onto it. Right. I understand and that, dude. I understand. Actually, that's something that Gary Wayne and I had to battle out a bit, even though, I mean, it was between brothers, but... Yeah, that was something I had to talk to him about a little bit. So and then, didn't you get stoned if you got pregnant out of wedlock? I think that's another reason they said they were virgins. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know your thought. I, I, that's Xavier, our, our, our <laughs> trusty sidekick here. Well, because, I mean, wherever... He'll occasionally well, ask a question. Well, now. wherever the Virgin Mary got stoned, I always told my mom, I was like, the reason she's saying that is because if she would have said, I'm pregnant without having an excuse of a dude... She's going to get stoned. So everybody later, well, no, she was home all night. She something. We heard something, but no, dude. Your thoughts, Ken? <laughs> right. Well, it's. Um, 
I would have to look up the verse to read it word for word, but it's stated that basically Joseph sided with her and kind of protected her from that kind of accusation. Guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Talk Space. Guys, Talk Space, they're one of the leaders in this new form of therapy, guys. Mental health is super important, and a lot of people are like kind of like like scared to get involved with it, you know? And your mental health is very important. And meeting with a therapist to work on your mental health is just as helpful as meeting with a personal trainer to work out on your physical health, okay? And it has a positive impact on all your life and could be life-changing, okay? Talkspace makes it possible to speak with a licensed therapist right from your phone, tablet, or computer, okay? Unlike traditional therapies, you you can message your therapist anytime, text, video, voice. It's 100% secure and stigma-free. The way that therapy should be okay i know i know i i get a little weirded out about it at first but man i'm telling you you know what's great about therapists is like you get to talk about you how many times you start talking yeah, to yeah, a therapist right. <laughs> and then whoever you're how many times you get to talk to a friend and then hey, it just becomes you're hearing their problems yeah. oh they're trying to up one up you yeah oh i got it even worse you're like i yeah. want to hear therapists are great because you just get to talk Talk, 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 and they have to listen. And you know they've heard far worse than what you're yeah. bringing to Right, them. right, right. Talk space, your privacy is secure, and it's their number one priority. Huh? The app puts you in a private room just with you and your therapist. Send messages 24-7 and get replies throughout the day. No need to wait for weekly appointments, okay? Talkspace encrypted is encrypted and adds security features that keep your conversations fully protected no more excuses okay nothing you can go do it get personal personal help isn't weird anymore it's smart okay and here's what i want you to do join talk space today and start moving forward with a single message okay join talk space this is all you gotta do just join talkspace.com and get a hundred dollars off your first month when you use the promo code Tinfall at sign up. That's $100 off at talkspace.com. Promo code Tinfoil. Get help, guys. So, so, and then we'll get into what you came here to talk about because I'm very excited and I'm thankful that you're on the show. This is a great a conversation. Uh, I, I, uh, so I'm, uh, I'm starting to get into Tataria, right? And, uh, our good friend Johnny Nice over here, Jay Nice is more questionable of Tataria. That's why we love him on the show, because he's a little more skeptic than me, and I just I just so thirst to hear interesting stuff that I, I hurl headfirst into it. But there's part of me that goes, if Tataria is Israel, like they had things that they could do that we could not do, and that are there things in the Bible, powers that we heard people have, that could possibly be powers that those that civilization had that we no longer have are you saying that miracles that could be explained by technology they had back then is that what you're saying yeah okay like i mean i don't know if there's any real way to answer that but it's like i'm hearing about all this stuff that they could do through 
organs and sounds and waves and free energy and all that stuff. And then you kind of go, okay, this is from way back in the day. They were here. Now we hear all these stories that, you know, that the Bible of these incredible feats being done. Is it possible that those were real and that that was the technology that they had back then that we no longer have? Like everyone thinks like the iPhone is so advanced, <laughs> like compared to what, what Tatari used to do. I mean, maybe it's just garbage. I thought Atari was that video game I played with a joystick when I was in the, in the 80s. By the way, that was the last time I played video games. When you could do it with one stick going B, I'm like, anything else, you. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. This is too much. What am I, Edward Scissorhands? What am I doing here? <laughs> well, it's really difficult. I mean, I think we've kind of realized ever since Arthur C. Clarke that the line between high tech and miracle is maybe not even a line at all. <laughs> so, I mean, if God has the capability of just willing a miracle to happen, we could categorize that as a technology. So the terminology just gets very difficult. But I would say, say for, okay, for instance, the Atlantis, whether it's real or imagined, whatever, that's, that's a separate issue. You have a concept of a pre-flood world where there was high tech, okay? So is that what we're looking at? I mean, I'm, I don't know. I would say I'm not really convinced that there was much high tech pre-flood, but I guess I would think that if um, angels were hanging around, uh, they knew a thing or two <laughs> above the average bear and maybe, uh, you know, People back then, you know what they did? They didn't do. They didn't sit in front of the TV for eight uh, yeah, eight hours a day. They actually had these things called conversations. So, uh, <laughs> so um, it's a difficult one. It's really a difficult one because we're we're dipping our toes in so many pools of speculation. It's, it would kind of hard be hard for. Somebody for me who's very concerned about deriving conclusions based on what we do know, that I would probably not say much more than that. All right. I'm in. That's a great answer. So the Nephilim is very interesting to me. And I have a joke about it in my act about, you know, there's all these uh, cultures and religions and philosophies that talk about entities coming and mating with women uh, correct me if I'm wrong, archons mating with human women, creating Nephilim possibly. And then, you know, in the joke, I talk about shape-shifting Jesus coming down and just dropping a keg of wolf ass on these low-frequency demons and sending them away. And, and it, you know, there's more to the joke. But, you know, uh, the reason that is important to me and I talk about it is because it brings up DNA and how sacred DNA is, right? And, and how, like, and now we take a look at what's going on today in this modern, you know, COVID world we live in with everybody being forced to take a vaccine. We're seeing people, like, getting heart attacks that would never get heart attacks before. People having, you know, all these different issues. But it's like the Bible talks about how sacred your DNA is and that's why I think this is a really important conversation. And, you know, Greg Wilson, brought, uh, excuse me, Greg Carlwood brought that up when he was on the show. And he was the first one to point out to me that the Bible talks about how sacred your DNA is and how this, this vaccine is like shish kebabbing our DNA. So do you have any thoughts on that? 
If I may, let me take a couple steps back for some quick notes, and then I'll jump on that. So in Matthew 1, it says, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, contextually, this was during a time that the Jews did not have the right over capital punishment. The Romans didn't allow that, uh, which is incidentally why when uh, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death, they took him outside the city first. That's just a, a note on that. And then, the, to me, I'm going to read you a little quote from a book called uh, First Enoch, uh, a.k.a. Ethiopic Enoch, with one of the funniest, uh, to me, one of the funniest statements of all pseudepigrapha. Uh, it says, "You, uh, this is God talking to the fallen angels, okay? <laughs> you, you have been in heaven, but all the mysteries had not been revealed to you and you only knew worthless ones. <laughs> oh man, I love that. It's like uh, all, all the the arcane occult knowledge of all the pagan all throughout history, and God's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. That's worthless stuff right there. Forget about it. <laughs> it is interesting, and you know. You know, piggybacking off that is just like layers upon layers upon layers of, of deceit and misinformation and to keep you from source, in my humble opinion, God. And what and like, let me tell you something, man. I, I was uh, I had a crippling drug problem, crippling sex addiction. And, you know, to talk about spirituality and Jesus and the Bible, I still have visceral. Rea I feel my body tense up. As I just talk, I mean, I'm just being honest with you because I'm dealing with a lot of things in my life. You know, I'm like from who I was to who I am. And, you know, it's like my wiring versus this new operating system that I'm downloading right now are in somewhat conflict a lot. And, you know, so when I talk about Jesus and all that stuff, I start going, and it's like I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say that. But it is what I believe. And it, it is that, you know, there's something special going on and these layers and layers and layers of deceit that this kid, you know, I never, you know, I was on a friend's show and we were kind of arguing and I was bringing up DNA and he, and I brought up the Bible and he's like, the Bible. And I was like, that was such an interest. I found that just to be a very interesting reaction to it. And I, and I never really got there, even when I was in my my darkness. I still had a, you know, belief in God and all that stuff, but, and I never had, I always respected people's thing, but to have a visceral reaction to the men, just the mention of the Bible yes. is just a oh. very interesting thing. So this thing about the layers upon layers of a stinky onion is a perfect segue to actually get us started. If I may. Yes. Although first I want to just person to person just point out that jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden <laughs> is light i love okay. that dude so just take that with you okay now so why are we at the point where we're contemplating nephilim from the pre-flood days in today's world when we're talking about what's going on with uh, pharmaceuticals well nephilim have been a subject of absolute fascination for millennia Okay, millennia. They've been it's been interpreted, debated, discussed. Um, folklore has been written about it, and today you and I get a kick 
just go to one of these websites that sell books and look up Nephilim romance. I mean, there's a cottage industry of romance novels about about Nephilim. It's, it's and then there's Nephilim in, in video games, movies, songs, you name it. Now, what I thought to do is, I think your your audience is equipped enough with a background in so much that you discussed that I figured I'll talk take a, a top down approach rather than a bottom up. So the top down approach would be that. Is there um, genetic manipulation going on today? Of course, there's no question about it. It's either in the form of this vax or in various other forms like CRISPR. I mean, it's just, it's not, a, it's a non-issue. It's happening, we all know it, period, point blank. Does it have anything to do with Nephilim directly? I don't see that whatsoever. Indirectly, perhaps, in that there would be uh, certain entities out there that would still be um, whispering the same spiel into the human ear. Okay, so now when it comes to, okay, so again, since I'm going top down, I'm going to make some assertions and I'll hopefully clean them up as we go along. So I would say that Nephilim, strictly speaking, lived pre-flood. They didn't survive the flood. They didn't return after the flood. End of story, period, full stop. Uh, The issue is that many uh, pop researchers, as I call them, uh, claim post-flood Nephilim, and then they take them right up until the modern day and take them all the way to the eschaton, to the end times or last days. Interestingly enough, Gary Wayne was really difficult to pin down on this because he agreed with me there's no such thing as post-flood Nephilim, but then it seemed like creep into his assertions that there sort of kind of was. I mean, he's still talking about how there were Nephilim kings post-flood. I've even heard him refer to that there was such a thing as Nephilim dogs. Okay, I'm not going to... That's just... Okay. Um, God bless him. So then, who were the Nephilim? All right. Now, let me just read uh, the primary verse we have for that. Genesis 6 says, When men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, and they took them wives, any they chose. Um, And then it talks about the Lord um, and human lifespan. I'll set that aside for for now. The Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were old men of renown. Okay. Now, this is the first of only two, not even texts, but single verses in the Bible about Nephilim. Two sentences is all we get. This is one of them. (laughs) Now, from here, we learn that they live pre-flood. We learn their parentage, and that raises the question, who were the sons of God? Who were the daughters of men? Uh, Just to give you a shortcut, I'm not going to argue it, although I've written an entire book about it called um, uh, Genesis 6 Affairs, Sons of God, Angels or Not. I take the angel view, that's the traditional, the original, and the majority view amongst both Jews and Christians from B.C. times uh, into centuries into A.D. times. So then that we're reading that angels came and, and mated with human women, and they produced these uh, people group called Nephilim, who were mighty and well-known, right, uh, men of renown. We don't know why. We're not told why, but they were well-known. 
and mighty. So that's pretty much it. Uh, flood comes. That's they're done with. Full full end right there. Now, I hope you don't mind a, a little bit of a Bible study. <laughs> But in order to deal with the second reference to them, I'm just going to have to talk for a couple of minutes and lay out an argument. Go for it. My only question is this real quick before you yes. start. Uh, so it is of your belief that they weren't archons or they were angels. And is there a difference between an archon and an angel? Okay. So they, uh, you're referring to the sons of God, right? That mated with the daughters of right. men. Yes. Um, okay, so archon would be a term from Gnosticism, and that's you're talking about the first few centuries AD. So you kind of have to jump a few millennia in, in, during the, in the timeline to pick up that term. I, I would say that they're Malachim, it's the Hebrew word for angel. Later on in the Second Temple era, the pseudepigraphic era, that's just prior to the time of Jesus, these they would have been referred to as watchers. It's a the term you find in the book of Daniel as well, because the book of Daniel was written around that time. So just more most contextually to the biblical material, I would say call them Malachim or angels or watchers would be the more direct route. Interesting. And, and and referring to them as archons, that might work, but I'm going to, this is one of those cross-cultural things that I told you would come up, and it's going to come up again. If it doesn't, just remind me, okay? All right. The issue with the second reference to Nephilim in the Bible, it's that it's post-flood. But I just said well, there's no indication that there were any such thing as post-flood Nephilim, so how can you have a reference to them post-flood? Well, listen to what I said. It's a reference to them. That doesn't mean that they were alive on the ground at the time. They're being referenced. But the claim was that they were alive on the ground at the time. See, this is why I need just a couple minutes to clean this up. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> so this is Numbers chapter 13. Most people just pick up verse 33 and they run with it. And they incorporate it and they turn it into like an all-encompassing worldview philosophy and hermeneutic, meaning an interpretive lens. But you need to interact with the narrative. The narrative is when the Israelites were coming into the land of Canaan. So they stop and they send in 12 spies. The spies reconnoiter the land and then they come back and they report. So it says they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, Moses, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, that's what I call the original report, and it's accepted as is. That's it. Next verse, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses, saying, hold on, let's pause there. He quieted the people, so there's something that disturbed them. Here's what he said. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So now, what I notice in the original report is that it refers to strong people 
There's numerous people groups, and they live in cities that are fortified and very large. Now, the, the, the historical and cultural context is at the time, the Israelites are wilderness dwellers. They, they're itinerant. They live in tents. They're moving around. And now they're like, uh, hold on a minute. We're going to have to confront people who are strong living in well-fortified large cities. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of freaked out. Right. Um, yeah. So then it says, then the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb, and incidentally, we end up finding out Joshua sides with Caleb. So really, you have Joshua, Caleb on one side now and the other 10 on the other side. And here's what the others say. We are not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we. Next, the narrative tells us that now they brought up a bad report of the land, sometimes translated evil report. Uh, they had spied out saying, so now see, we had an original report. Now we have a bad report. Here's what it says. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Okay, so just to unpack this, let's start at a common sense um, level and looking at all of this. So for one, that they are saying we are not able to go up against these people is a problem because God had commanded them to do that. So instantly these guys show themselves to be unfaithful and disloyal right then and there. That's a huge character flaw at the very least. All right. Then they say, um, the land, okay, all the people we saw in it are of great height. Well, the original report noted that the people were strong. And even in their first uh, argument against Caleb, they said they are stronger than we. But all of a sudden, they're embellishing. They're throwing in, oh, yeah, by the way, they're all of great height. That, that's just a straight-up embellishment right there. And then they say the land through which we have gone, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Well, wait a minute. The original report had a land flowing with milk and honey. So that's a straight up contradiction right there. And then they say, we saw the Nephilim. Well, wait a minute. The original report listed whom they saw. The Anakim, the Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites. So this is another embellishment. They're just adding to the story, right? And then if you recall, now earlier in the chapter, we were told where the Anakim lived. And now we were told where the other people groups live. But these guys don't mention where the Nephilim live. So that's a missing data point right there, which speaks to me about how it was just an assertion. They're just throwing it in. They can't pinpoint it because it wasn't true. And then there's a phrase that um, eh, it's generally taken to mean that they were claiming the Anakim are related to Nephilim. Um, that would certainly be unknown in the entire rest of the Bible. It's just nowhere else. And that the Nephilim were very, 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 very tall. Uh, now, if you recall, in Genesis 6, we did not get a physical description of Nephilim uh, whatsoever. And my contention is going to be that this report is actually absolutely inaccurate. So then we do not have a reliable physical description of Nephilim whatsoever. 
just doesn't exist. This is something I had to contend with Gary Wayne, by the way, because he kept referring to them as giants. So I asked him, well, how do you know how tall they were? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, then you can't refer to them as giants. Although he insisted on continuing to refer to them as giants, <laughs> even after I got him to admit he has no idea how tall they were. So that's a little, a little side note. So now, hold on. Uh, can I jump in yet? Or you, you, just you, another. Okay, keep going. Keep going. A, a couple more bullet points. No problem. No problem. Okay. On a commonsensical level, forget theology, forget the details of the Bible, just common sense. If you saw the most awe-inspiring beings on the planet, is the first thing you'd said when you ran back to camp, hey, guys, check out this fruit. Uh, Really? <laughs> <laughs> and then what? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about the land. Oh, and, and you know, we they have cities. No, you'd be like, OMG. You know, <laughs> you never guess what we saw. No, they don't do that. So to me, this, this are unfaithful, disloyal, contradictory, embellishing guys who actually made five assertions about which the whole entire rest of the Bible knows nothing. Like if you want to claim post-flood Nephilim, if you want to claim Anakin were related to them, and if you want to claim that we're very, very, very tall, this one verse is all you got. That doesn't exist. None of that exists anywhere else in the whole entire Bible. Not, not a single word of it. And so to me, they were just made up a tall tale. It was a don't go in the woods type of fear-mongering, scare tactic tall tale because they were so freaked out about having to confront these strong people groups living in big cities when they're just moving around the desert and uh, living in tents. Uh, there's a few other issues, but I, I mean, I think I've said enough to make my point. Yeah, so in other words, sure, they, sure. There, there were no Nephilim at post-flood. These guys just made it up. Point Hold back. on. But were there Nephilim ever? Or is that a mega well, yeah. giant mega? Pre-flood. 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 So, there were giants, though, right? Do you believe they were giants? Okay. Now, I mean, what, what was Goliath is what I would ask. Okay, good. So now I'm inferring that by the word giant, you're implying something about subjectively unusual height. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, exactly. Shaquille okay, O'Neal's and like Yao Ming's. This is something I had to discuss with Gary Wayne. Um, that is just the modern usage of the word giant. That's not the roots of it. The etymology of the word giant is in the Greek gigantes, that means earthborn and implies nothing about height. So in linguistics, there's a difference between a word's meaning and a word's usage, and it can be very different. So yeah, in modern days in English, the word giant implies subjectively unusual height. But when you read the Bible, English Bibles that use the word giant, that has nothing to do with height. Because if you look at the word, the Hebrew word behind that word, giant, it's either going to be Nephilim in two verses, or it's going to be Rephaim in 98% of the rest. And neither Nephilim nor Rephaim implies anything about uh, height either. In fact, let me quickly, let me just give you a, a read the quotation the J. Edward Wright Endowed Professor of Judaic Studies, who is J. Edward Wright, Ph.D. himself, he's the director of the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Arizona. Here's what he says. 
The term traditionally translated as giant in both the Greek Septuagint, gigantes, and now the English is nephilim, a term based on the root nafal, meaning fall. It has nothing to do with size. And then he specified that this goes for both the Hebrew and the Aramaic. Quote, the root nafal in Aramaic also means fall and not Giants. Okay, so what I'm saying is that when you see the English word giant in English Bibles, it's not implying anything about height whatsoever. It's either rendering, not even translating, rendering the word Nephilim or the word Rephaim. Okay, but the question still remains. Were they unusually tall people recorded in the Bible? Well, of course, there's always been unusually tall people. That's it. We're done, right? Um, so let me um, <laughs> I think mention you're tuning that. In, guys. Uh, what's that? No, go on. Sorry, I was making bad jokes. No worries. I, uh, you know, my kids got me a shirt with a periodic table, and it says, I make dad jokes periodically. <laughs> That's cute. And then I tell, you know, I tell them, I'm a dad, not a comedian. Come on. So let's run through, quote-unquote, giants in the Bible really quick, okay? So we have really three categories, um, essentially, of um, genre or description. We have generic statements, such as uh, Anakim, perfect example. Now, the Anakim were a subgroup of Rephaim, kind of like a tribe and a clan, right? Um, Anakim are said to have been tall, I mean, it's totally subjective, right? They're tall compared to the average Israelite male of those days who was five foot, five foot three, right around there. Just like like a North Korean now might encounter some Midwestern, you know, Sean Bradleys and think, oh my God, you know, we've just encountered a... A giant. Yeah, a giant, right. right. So, I mean, in... in, (laughs) Okay, you're reading the English Bible and you see the word tall or great size or great stature or great height. You have to keep that in mind. It is subjective and you need to know what it's subjective to. In this case, five foot, five three. So a guy that's six, five, seven foot. Yeah, that would definitely be tall and great height. Um, Then you have actually specified heights. And we only get two of those in the Bible. One of them is an Egyptian man who is seven five-ish. Uh, the other one's Goliath. Now, Goliath is very interesting because there's a textual issue to deal with here. So the Masoretic text, right, the Masoretic family of manuscripts has him being just shy of 10 feet, roughly. Um, but the earlier Septuagint manuscripts and the earlier Dead Sea Scrolls and the earlier Flavius Josephus, the historian, have him at being just shy of seven feet. Oh, my God. Now, let's think about that for a second. Regardless of what we thought about Goliath before, now we understand that if he was just shy of seven feet compared to guys that are five, five, three, yeah, that would be definitely impressively tall. That, that's all there is to it. Now, let me point out something interesting that Gary Wayne did. Uh, for one, he decided to reject that I brought 
three sources that predate the Masoretic and all agree he decided to just go with the latter Masoretic because he wants Goliath to be a quote-unquote giant. So he wants a higher, he wants him to be taller. Moreover, he says that Goliath was probably a king so then they probably measured him using the royal cubit that's even longer. So then he was even taller. With all due regard and discretion, um, there's no indication that Goliath was a king. And I'm afraid that Gary Wayne is saying he probably was, and they probably used a longer cubit just because he wants to plump him up. He wants a very tall Goliath, and he's going to invent one if he has to. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. You can watch the debate. We discussed that a few times in great detail. And now the other thing we get in the Bible is symbolism, right? Like uh, we read in Numbers 13.33, the comparison to grasshoppers, right? That's not a specific item. I mean, I've done the calculation in my books. Um, or the, the Amorites, we're told their quote-unquote height was like the height of cedars and their strength like the strength of oaks. Now, if I'm not coming to that text with a mindset of wanting to find find giants, I know that he's telling me they were big and strong. I'm not sure why I need to go and, and, and do research on the size of the cedars in the Middle East to then say, well, there, there's a one-to-one ratio correspondence right there. That's what the text is implying to me, that I need to do mathematics and calculate this out. Look, they were being strong. Can we just stop there? Because there's nothing really more to it than that. And uh, then there's the issue of uh, presumptions. Another issue I discussed with... Um, whom I'd like to call my new friend Gary, although he <laughs> is this Tupac and Biggie. <laughs> it's like a Taylor yeah. Swift song or yo, something. Yo, when are we gonna have? When are we gonna have Homeboy yeah. on? He, he um he wasn't very happy with me. Uh, <laughs> just you just watch the debate. Okay, now the issue of Og of Bashan. Okay, uh, OG. It's spelled OG. So at least we know he was an original gangster. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Man, I'm a dad. I'm not a comedian. Uh, <laughs> You're killing it, brother. You're on fire today. I'm going to make you a regular. <laughs> now, uh, uh, my dear friend Gary was saying that I was like 13, 14 feet tall. And I ruined it for him by asking him how he knew that. And he had to admit he doesn't know that. So again... I had to say, well, then the implication is you can't call him a giant anymore because you're admitting you don't know how tall he was. But what Gary does, and this is very common, he says, well, but his bed was made of iron and the bed was like uh, 13 and a half feet or so. So, you know, you subtract about a foot from that. Okay, you get a guy who is, let's just say 13, let him have his fun, you know. It's like, okay, well, that might be fair enough, but let's begin by admitting we're not told his personal height. And so if we're going to claim he was 13 feet tall, then let's make it very clear that we're now in speculation land. 
However valid the speculation may be, I'm just saying we need to admit it. Okay. Now, what I pointed out to Gary is that at a, at a ziggurat, you know what I mean, like a step pyramid, a ziggurat called, uh, and, and to Menke, if I remember correctly, uh, a bed, quote-unquote, a bed was found with these the same dimensions as the one that belonged to Og. And this was not a bed you would sleep on. It's a ritual object upon which supposed gods and alleged goddesses would mate. It's not something you slept on. It was like an altar type of thing, a ritual object. That's that's the what archaeology is telling us is how to understand what it was that Og had. And, and besides, I threw in some stuff with Gary that's just common sense stuff we need to think about. So I told him, look, if you measure my bed and you subtract a foot, yeah, you'd get a good idea of how tall I am. But you would think I was five times wider. <laughs> right, right. And besides, I'm not an ancient sovereign. Right. You know? I got I, you. I, so I don't have a harem. I don't have luxuries. I'm just a dude with a bed. So I can't take my modern day bed and think that I can uh, correlate it to Og's quote unquote bed. It's this is the kind of stuff you really you really need to think about when you're when you're when you're um taking today's ideas and you're trying to force them into the past. And let me throw this in, because this I found as interesting as I found it flummoxing. Okay, so when I was talking to him about the etymology of the, uh, the word giant and how the ancient meaning from the Greek is not the same as the modern usage, he reached back and got a, a dictionary and read the definition and had one of these kind of moments, like he showed me, by golly. <laughs> And I was like, you can't use a modern-day grammatical English dictionary to tell me what a Hebrew word meant three and a half millennia ago. It's, it's incoherent. You can't do that. But he kept insisting, we know what, it, what, we know what giant means. So we're going to take a modern English understanding of it, and we're going to force that into the Bible. So now when he reads the word giant in the Bible all over the place, he's thinking unusual height. It's, it's, it's completely linguistically. It doesn't work. Just leave it at that. There's no way that works. You so can't do what, that. What makes the Nephilim so important that they are mentioned in the Bible? Okay. So, What's interesting about uh, taking the angel view of Genesis 6, like I already mentioned, is that Jude and Second Peter in the New Testament, they talk about the angels that sinned. And now there's only a one-time sin of angels in the Bible. So if it wasn't Genesis 6, then nobody would know what on earth they were talking about. So part of it is that God has a created order there's certain things that God creates to be distinct from one another, right? There's the animal kingdom, there's the human kingdom, there's the angelic kingdom, and there's cherubim and seraphim. That's, you know, if you want to have me on to talk about it, angelology someday, we'll do that. It would just take us away from the issue to, to, to get into that. And so this is one thing going on in our world right now, incidentally, is, uh, is, um, attempt to collapse God's created order. 
So that's why you have a lot of issues with sexuality today and you have a lot of issues with genetic manipulation. You have all this breaking down of, uh, of families and of uh, sexuality and of genetics. I mean, we're to the point where we're deconstructing um, truth. We're denying there's absolute truth. We're deconstructing family we're deconstructing sexuality now we're to the point where in our frenzy to rebel against god we're deconstructing ourselves <laughs> 100 genetically we're saying that gender is whatever you want it's not a part of your essential being so anyhow so part of what what's important about nephilim is that they would have been the result of a mixing of two things that uh, ought never have mixed and so they are, by definition, hybrid, half angel, half human. That was never supposed to be. Um, and let me just, for the more theologically minded, I'll just throw this in. You understand that there's such a thing as, that theologians talk about it, God's perfect will versus his permissive will. So that it was not within God's perfect will that this would happen, but it was in his permissive will that it happened, because obviously it happened. And in a manner of speaking, he would have permitted it. And that kind of raises all kinds of questions. But there it is. The bottom line is, that's the issue, is they were the living result of something that should have never happened. Oh, man. You see this stuff happening all the time. We had a guest on that talked about how the original sin in the Garden of Eden was that man thought he could make the rules. And that that God, that that they didn't have to follow God's rule, and we see that happening right now in real time. And I do believe there's going to be a pushback on a lot of stuff. I I I don't personally get into the God business. I, I God's my you know, we each have our connection with God and what we want to do. And you know, I'm not going to tell anybody how to live their life. That's just kind of my whole thing. And, uh, you know, I think the sin of the world is uh, pain and suffering and everything that comes under that is, uh, is uh, you know, is against the, the laws of God. But, you know, who am I? I'm just a dick Joe comic, you know. But that's kind of how I see stuff happening. But I do see that man is trying to rewrite all the rules. I personally don't think it's working. I think people are waking up to it all the time. I think they overplayed their hand, and now people are like, okay, you're in bizarro town now, and common sense is gone, and this is where we're at. And I think that, you know, that people are looking, people, I feel like, people always say, like, you know, like people are losing God. I personally just believe people are, are losing organized religion, and that people are finding their own connection to God. And I find more people spiritual than ever. And I know there's this whole theory that the woo-woo is anti-God. I personally don't believe that. But, you know, that's just me. What are your thoughts on all this? Ken? No. Oh, wait up. I have, a, I have a question from... Actually, uh, before the flood, how many Nephilim do you think there was? If there was... A, was there a good amount, a handful? Like, oh, but were were the Nephilim like just a bunch of CrossFit dudes? Like, were they just like <laughs> shredded, ripped guys? Could they, re was, could they reproduce? Is there DNA around? No, I mean they got wiped out right by the. But flood. they could still reproduce. It doesn't mean their genes wouldn't be on some other chick. 
What is this? No, they'd have to be in Noah. Monica Lewinsky? And what and is true. Yeah, jeans on another <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with the number of questions you're asking. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. We'll start slowly. Okay, so now, how many were there? How many Nephilim were there? Um, 17,583. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, Matt. Uh, well, I don't, welcome <laughs> to Tim Foyle Hat. Well, I'm wondering if there was a lot, 5, 10, 100, yeah, a lot of Mexicans. I, was, there, was there a lot? Was it a, bi- was it a big tribe? Yeah. Is that what we're asking? Yeah. Let, me, let me point this out. Could they make a basketball team? That's yeah. really what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me. Okay. Is this okay, the earliest whoa. version of Spaceship? Yeah. <laughs> You're getting, okay, a lot of thoughts. Okay, so if you remember from Genesis 6, it states that Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also afterward. Remember that? Yes. Now, a lot of people take the afterward to mean after the flood. A ton of people do that. But actually, this is verse 4. The flood isn't even mentioned for the very first time until a full 13 verses later. And the thing is that it says it says the Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also after that. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Well, when was that? Well, verse 1 told us, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Well, then, so the question becomes, well, when was that? Well, I have no idea. It could have been as early as when Adam and Eve's children started having children. And so if you take, uh, I don't know, I don't want to get into this issue because it totally doesn't interest me, but if you take a quote-unquote younger perspective, that's like a millennia and a half from the time of Adam and Eve to the flood. So if, uh, okay, so this is like speculating upon speculating, but, you know, you asked. So that would be plenty of time for plenty of them to be born to the point that they are known as being mighty and they're of renown. They're well known. How many were there? I have no idea. Now, could they have, could, so angels and humans mate, they produce Nephilim because could Nephilim have reproduced with regular human women themselves? I don't see why not. So then you would have had kind of generations and generations of progressively watered down Nephilim. Now, could their genetics have made it through the flood? This is partly theological and partly textual. Since there's no such thing as post-flood Nephilim, that question evaporates. There's no need to even ask it because it's a non-issue. So when you hear these stories about, well, uh, I'll give you, I'll name names. Okay, so there were two basic camps known as um, the uh, single incursionists, meaning that uh, angels mated with humans pre-flood only, not post-flood, but they were still post-flood Nephilim. That's a view that was taken by the late Rob Skiba, rest in peace. And then there was multiple incursionism uh, held by people like Ali Marzuli, who claim angels kept doing the same thing after the flood. Um, And they would kind of, you know, they had their little jostling about that. And I'm thinking, dude, you're you're both mistaken because you're arguing to prove a point that can't be made because there's no such thing as post-flood Nephilim. And so the issue becomes that 
Marzulli's view doesn't work because the Bible doesn't say a single word about any angels falling again, and certainly not doing anything like this again. And Jude and Second Peter tell us that the angels who sinned were incarcerated. Okay, they don't tell us when they were incarcerated, but you figure if God is cleaning house for during the flood, it's logical that that would have been the time that they, he incarcerates them. So that doesn't work for various reasons. Uh, Skiba's view that Nephilim genetics made it through the flood in the wives of Noah's sons. Again, it's one of those stories he had to invent in order to get Nephilim through the flood. Well, since they didn't make it through the flood, it doesn't matter. They didn't make it through in any way, shape, or form. So all these stories that people are forced to invent because they're not biblical are just that. They're just mistaken, and it's because they go to number 1333, and they actually believe a bad report by unfaithful, disloyal, contradictory embellishers, who, by the way, contradict Moses, Caleb, Joshua, God, and the rest of the Bible, and whom God rebuked. Who are these bad reporters? It's just uh, 10 of the spies. And do you have a feeling on why they did that? Well, yeah, that, that's what I was talking about in Numbers 13, is that they were super intimidated that they're a nation of tent dwellers, and now like we're going to have to fight a bunch of strong people groups who live in well-fortified cities that are huge. Oh, we're not doing that, you know. <laughs> that is, I mean, is that not playing out right now, too, with, like, social justice warriors versus, like, you know, alphas, we seem to see that happening right now in real time as well. So it seems like the script constantly, constantly gets, re, you know, played over and over and over again. It's a, it's a, an internal battle forever, which is, you know, you know, uh, betas versus alphas. And Incidentally, let me throw this in. I think this is very important. There are many, many of what I call pop researchers who claim that the flood was God getting rid of Nephilim. Okay. That's a very common view. Then they go on to claim post flood Nephilim. So that implies that God mm. failed, right? That makes sense. Oh, well they made it through genetically. So you're telling me they found a loophole that God missed. No. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work logically, nor theologically, no biologically. It just doesn't work all around you if know, you're taking that view. What you're saying is why I think humanity beats what's going on right now. What you're talking about is that these, these, these I don't care who you are, whether you're Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, George Soros, whoever these people are, they're not bigger than God. And there, there are rules to the universe. And they are not, they are not bigger than the universe. They cannot, there's certain things that I do in my life, which is abundance. These people are practicing scarcity and it's not going to work. They are not bigger than God. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's why I believe this thing isn't going to work. And you see it falling day by day by day. And the only reason it works right now is because we, we haven't seen that the fucking you know, the cops, the police, military, they're all on the side. They're on the wrong side right now because there's a paycheck involved with it. And they're taking, you know, cash and prizes 
to go against the rules of universe, which is love and, and, and God. And, and they will either pay the price or they will wake up to what they're doing and join us on pushing back. That is my God, the honest belief about how this is going to play out. You have a choice, man. You know, you could either join us. I know it's going to sound crazy. You could join us in the glory of God and push back. Or you could, like, go down in a blaze of glory. Not glory, excuse me. Go down and just fire, bro, because you're on the wrong side of this thing. And I don't care what your paycheck is. The notion that your paycheck, I got to do for a paycheck. Like, when we don't throw these dudes on guillotines, like, we're not going to have cops and we're not going to pay your paycheck. Like, is that what you think is really going to happen? You're not going to get paid when, when it's love in the world? Like, it's all, it's all fallen, man. And you're making a choice because you're either a psychopath or you're with humanity. It's <clears throat> your brother. <laughs> brother, I hey, appreciate you know, you know, you know no. what I say? Resistance is fertile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great so saying. Let me, let me read a quotation from Isaac Asimov. Who said, and this is within the context of what we're trying to do with humanity to, the way I would put it, is to deconstruct God's order and recreate humanity in our own image, if that makes sense, right? Here's what Isaac Asimov said, and this is more within the context of transhumanism, which is another issue I've looked at a ton. He says, I wonder if we will make robots so much like men and men so much like robots that eventually we'll lose the distinction altogether and have a combined culture. This may be best after all. Maybe humanity itself will die out as humanity and sort of melt into this machine culture. Now, so now whether you're talking about robotics or whether you're talking about manipulating genetics, it's kind of like the same concept, right? It's about in one way or another turning us humans into something that we were not really designed to to do and then maybe reaching the point where you're going to have to seriously ask the question what is a human is this person a human anymore where's that line and has it been crossed i mean we're talking about vastly complicated issues upcoming in in terms of uh not only biology but ethics we don't know what genders are right now I know what genders are. <laughs> well, I dude. know, but they're arguing we don't know what genders are. Yeah, and they're idiots. And we got, <laughs> so, we, you know what the biggest... Incidentally, you might find this as interesting as it is uh, disturbing. Uh, I wrote a book called uh, The Occult Roots of Post-Genderism. And uh, basically, I just quote occult texts from centuries ago to decades ago, just to all throughout history. And all this stuff about gender confusion or the mixing and melding of genders or her uh, being hermaphrodites or being androgynous, all this stuff is all over occult texts from any time you look at them. It's all over them. Yeah, well, we've had talked about a lot of this stuff you're seeing right now in pop culture is from very some, you know, old, old pagan uh, religions that used to go on back in Greek. Can I ask a question about that? Uh, we talked about this yesterday on Broken Sim. Do you, 
something that is in pop culture and you hear about it a lot with these rappers is this idea of, of selling one's soul. Do you think that's something that so, like someone can do? Can you sell your soul? Do you think that's possible or is it God's? Um, the traditional concept, I mean, we were kind of thinking of it as a transaction, right? That exactly. you're now owner of this thing that belonged to me. The way I would put it, is that um, there's this ancient concept of a trickster, right? There's like the old story of the Faustian bargain, mm, yeah. right? The, the, you, you make a deal with the devil or a demon or whatever you want to call it, and temporarily the demon's going to give you the things that you want, but inevitably the tables are going to turn, and it's going to be made clear to you that you're actually not in control of the demon. That's just not the way it works. And the word of the way I've actually heard occultists explain it more than once is that it's kind of like being the demon saying, you know, you're not just going to summon me like a prostitute to show up and do whatever you want. The tables are turning. You're, you're not in charge of me. So what I'm getting at is that, um, can a human actually give their soul away? I don't really see that. Can um, Satan or a demon actually uh, own your soul? I don't really see that. But it's the same sort of scenario. It's just not that um, um, litigious. It's not like this sort of lawful interaction. It's just mm. so, something that appears to be that way because you're going through these motions of appearing as if you sold it. They appear as if they own it and all this stuff happens. So it's effectively the same is what you're saying. It's effectively the same. It's just more like a facade. I would, I would say because your soul, it always belongs to you. It's part of a, the fundamental being who you are, body, soul, and spirit and so if we take the biblical view about H-E double hockey sticks and that uh, if you don't repent and uh, get saved, you're going to end up in hell. Well, that you're going to end up there anyway, because that's who you are. That's what you are. And it's, it's, it's always been you and you can't get rid of it no matter how much you try. Is it also that, you know, maybe it's not true, but they believe it and the power of will yeah. and belief causes a certain energy to be emitted and you know if the powers that be that are running these corrupt systems know you're willing to sell your soul they are that they, they they latch on to that and well, they, yeah, they, i'll tell you something interesting so i have a chapter in one of my books that i actually released online so if you look up online uh, search for um the apocalypse of the hidden hand and what it is really it's a bible study showing how behind the human sovereign there's a spiritual sovereign right so behind an earthly king there's some sort of entity and i mean the bible is just making that so clear right down through history and now another thing is that if you think about how uh saying the demons i mean they have to know the jig is up right? They have to know they failed. But then why do they keep going at it, right? And when I was writing my book on Satanology, uh, I, I decided to start thinking in, of Satan 
and demons more in terms of being insane, not just like angry. And then that oh, made a lot more sense. Why are they doing stuff that just doesn't make sense? Well, because essentially they're insane. They just have lost it, literally just absolutely lost it. So that um, if they're going down and they know they're going down, or maybe they think that they're going to somehow pull it off at the end. I don't know, because they're insane. Or, or else they just figure, hey, we're going to take as many people out as we can um, as we come crashing down. Who knows how they think? Uh, but it's kind of like a criminal profiler type of thing where it's like, okay, you're insane. That's why what you're doing doesn't make sense. And, and let me throw this in for, for fun. Uh, G.K. Chesterton talked about how he went to an asylum and he was talking to some in, literally insane people. And he said, you would think that they were just completely irrational. But he said, that's not the case. They are deeply rational. Rationality is the only thing they have left. And that's why they can come up with these absolutely insane views and they make perfect sense to them. They're able to reason from point A to point B and see it all the way to Z. And it, to, me, to them, it makes perfect sense. And you're looking at them like you are absolutely loony. You're totally out of it. But to them, it's perfectly rational. Right. That's the problem right there. And, and it's just like conformity. They just like they they will conform for opportunities for cash and prizes. And I'm just seeing it happen in real time right now when the when what they were selling basically their soul for in a figuratively uh, is no longer interested in them. You see them melting down. Like, do, do you remember when you had me on the the union of the unwanted? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now, I don't remember his name, but there was a guy on there who's self-identified as a practicing occultist. And he said that a friend of his is an occultist who summons demons. Jeez. Remember that? No, I don't Maybe. remember that. You okay, think I would so remember what he, that. He says, well, I even an occultist was saying to the other occultist, like, that's just not a good idea. Why are you doing that? And the guy told him, well, because they give me what I want. And the guy that was on your show said, and I couldn't tell him anything. I mean, that's the mindset. It doesn't matter that I'm dealing with demons. As long as I get what I want, period, full stop. And even his friend who was on your show is like, yeah, well, I couldn't, that's it. I couldn't tell him anything after that because he's satisfied getting what he wants. My point is that that's all all temporary, right? Like uh, Jesus says, what is a gain a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I couldn't agree more. And that is my whole thing. It's like, I, I, when I leave Hollywood, who knows when that is? I want to leave it with my name intact. You know, I didn't sell out. I didn't give away. Mm. And, you you know, always say that. You're like, I want to leave and not get kicked out. Yeah. Well, I always say that. But I don't, I don't want to be like, well, that guy cut quarters or that guy backstabbed anybody or that guy took. It was a taker and wasn't a giver. Like, that's important to me. I, 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 you know, who knows what we really, we really worry hard about our legacies. Right. And I think like, you know, is anybody talking about Johnny Carson right now? Like nobody talks about Johnny. And like how big that guy was, what is your legacy is like, how did you affect people around you? And you know, in particular your children, did you leave people in places better than you found them? Yes. I think that's really important. Everything else is just bullshit. And it's just, uh, it's just means nothing. 
You could have a, like a, a hospital named after you. Nobody cares. You know, it's just like, just, it's like, did you connect with people? That's my biggest thing. You have a building named after you. Just stuff that where you're just throwing money at to feel like you've done something. Like, okay, are you helping people? Do you help? That is abundance for me. That's the, oh, that's the best mark you could leave. And that's my humble opinion, dude. And Ken, great, great show today, man. Sorry about the open mic or joke at the beginning. I, <laughs> I was ornery. Um, not at all. Not at all. Um, but just, just to wrap this, this discussion up, I'll go back to what I mentioned in the beginning. And it's, it's really, it's been your context all along. Um, is what's going on today related to the actual Nephilim proper who actually existed pre-flood? No. But is it the same sort of concept that we're going to deconstruct God's created order for humanity and mix us in with who knows what, something else, to make us something we were never meant to be? Yes. I think it's, I think it's uh, they're, they're trying again, and I think they're going to lose again. That's just my humble opinion. They want to push everybody into the metaverse. Go have a good time if you want to. Not my thing. While you're all in there playing video games, I'm going to be out here just learning Krav Maga. <laughs> Ken, can you please tell them where they can find you one more time? Yes, sir. Truefreethinker.com. And thank you so much for allowing me to do that. Ken, you came here you dropped the keg of whoop ass we appreciate it man <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed the show it was a great discussion i think it's very important and i hope to see you guys in san diego and then my final uh show is december 11th i believe in tampa grab your tickets because things have been selling out so grab them and i hope to see you there i can't wait san diego tampa two of my favorite place to go i love you guys very much and we will talk to you soon thank you so much right, bless y'all Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. You just blew my mind. Tim foil hacking.